I'm Brian McGreevy, for those of you that I've not met, and I'm one of the clergy here at, <laughs> uh, clergy here at St. Philip's, and I have the joy of getting to introduce our speakers each month for men's lunch, and it is a particular joy this month to have David Gilbert with us. David and I have been friends for a long time, and one of the great things about David is he has such a spirit of humility, and uh, it is something that is rare in our culture, and it is a beautiful thing to see. So just a little bit of background on David. He is from St. Louis, Missouri, uh, grew up there, went to Webster University, graduated summa cum laude there uh, with a degree in education, and then started teaching elementary school at Porter Goud. Uh, he became a volunteer with the youth program here at St. Phillips, and after just a couple of years of that, uh, came on as the full-time youth minister, which he has been doing for how many years? 16 full-time. 16 years full-time. And the last time I checked, the average tenure of a youth minister's ministry stint was somewhere around three and a half years. So it is uh, extraordinary uh, that David has uh, been doing this for that long a period of time and doing it incredibly fruitfully. Uh, if you were up in this very room on a Sunday night, uh, you would see dozens of students up here, sometimes with junior high, 50 or 60 kids. Uh, you might see this room transformed into a hockey rink. Uh, you never know what might be happening. But the one constant is you know that they will be taught the word of God while they are here. So. Uh, David has had a phenomenal impact that has changed the lives of many, many, many students, and his own story is one that is very compelling. So it is a great joy for me to uh, welcome David Gilbert to speak today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome, welcome. Good to see you. As Brian just said, my name is David Gilbert. I'm going to put it up here on the screen so I don't forget. I'm going to start with a joke because I hear a lot of bald jokes at youth group, probably 100 a week. Um, why are all the, <laughs> the dead sinners bald? Because they had hell to pay. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all week. Remember, tip your waitress. Again, that, my name is David Gilbert. A little bit about me. I'm a Christian. That says it all. Weird, wacky guy. Uh, my husband, my wife's Jordan Elise Warlick Gilbert. I'm the father of two beautiful girls, Raina. She'll be 18 this year. She's a freshman at USC at the Darlamore School of Business. Chloe's 16. She's a junior at James Island Charter High, and I absolutely adore them. This is my youngest, Chloe, showing off her cross-country bling state champions last year, second place this year, all-state runner two years in a row. She set a PR this year of 1854, ranking her fifth all-time at women's James Island Cross Country, so pretty incredible. This is uh, Chloe, when she's not running, she's like me, chip off the old block. We like to get adventurous. My oldest, Raina, was a competitive volleyball player for a long time, and then COVID hit. And she's like, I don't think I wanna play in college anymore, Papa. I said, that's all right, God's got a plan. She has pursued the finer things in life, and this is my daughter, Raina. She has become quite the angler, uh, finished second place, in a fishing tournament not too long ago. Anything outdoors, that's where she is. She, I just couldn't be more proud of her. This is a blessing to me. This boy right here, I am Chewy's personal walker. This is Chewy pre, <laughs> this is Chewy pre-exorcism. 
This, this is Chewy, clothed and in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Um, I love that, 80 pounds of love. Uh, as Brian said, I've been a youth minister here for 19 years, three years of volunteer, 16 years full-time. I did two years of youth ministry in St. Louis, Missouri, 21 years in the trenches of youth ministry warfare. This is my bread and butter. This is this room. Uh, this is taken maybe a, two years ago, junior high. That's my bread and butter. That's the reason why God put me on this earth. And I'm so blessed and encouraged by these young people. I'm a son-in-law to an architect. I'm a brewer. I'm a snowboarder, mountain biker, rock climber, surfer, hockey player, motorcycle lover, member of the Seven Slot Society of Off-Roaders, AKA Jeep Wrangler. And since I go off-roading, I've also had to become a Jeep mechanic. I'm a poet, I didn't even know it. I'm a writer. And uh, here's a little bit about my bio. I was born and raised, as Brian said, in St. Louis, Missouri. I was born April 9, 1977, Easter weekend. The nurses brought me to my parents in an Easter basket with little bunny ears on my head. So cute. I was so cute. I was born with a full head of hair, believe it or not. I really was. I was so hairy and red that my parents gasped. And they almost named me Esau. But thanks be to God, they're sensible folk and were quickly talked out of that. <laughs> I'm one of three boys, all three years apart. My mom is fond of saying that she lived through a nervous breakdown, raising us Hellions. She is one of the strongest and bravest women I know, and I'm so thankful for her loyal care and devotion. Um, a week before my parents were gonna get married, they were on their motorcycle and got hit by a drunk driver who was 16 years old and almost took my mom's life. She was going through reconstructive surgeries on her leg for 13 years, all the while, while raising us three boys. So clearly in my book, A Saint, um, my parents have been married for 50 years. It's incredible. There's Mike and Sally Gilbert. Aren't they cute? They flew us all out to, uh, Mount, uh, to, excuse me, to Montana this summer, and we celebrated their wedding anniversary, and it's just such a blessing. They, they were madly in love with each other. So where did I go wrong? That's a great beginning. I mean, it sounds awesome, but something happened. There was a problem. I believe a part of it, a part of it truly is that I was born to a non-Christian family. We didn't go to church. We didn't pray. We didn't have Bible studies. I didn't know the fullness of truth. And then my older brother, Kenny, clearly was a problem, but he was one of my heroes. I looked up to my older brother. I loved my older brother. Unfortunately for me, he was very disturbed and full of anger. He started using drugs at an early age. Friends and drugs. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Right? I chose some horrible friends and I was addicted to drugs by the end of my eighth grade summer. Costs, well you can imagine, it cost me everything. I was so lost, disturbed and broken, despair set in. My sophomore year I attempted suicide. I hung myself in my parents' garage. I was unconscious for a long time, and my dad found me. My older brother cut me down and administered CPR. That saved my life. The paramedics said I would have died if he hadn't done that. He truly became my hero at this moment. I was in a coma for a week. They didn't know if I would come out of it. If I did come out of the coma, the doctor told them I would be severely brain damaged for having been deprived of oxygen for so long. There's a solution, right? If you have a problem, you gotta have a solution. My solution, continue using. 
Like St. Peter said, a dog returns to his vomit. Well, I got out of the hospital and I went right back into that lifestyle. Right back into it. I didn't hesitate. I suffered for two more years until two months left my senior year of high school. I had a nervous breakdown and I dropped out of school. I needed to flee. I had to get out of there. I had to run. I had to get away from that situation. So I traveled the country with the Grateful Dead and I settled down out in California. And on my 19th birthday, I decided to quit drugs. I was either going to die, go to jail, or change. Those are my three choices. I went cold turkey, and I've never looked back since. I started surfing, working out six days a week. I lost 80 pounds in a year. During this time, I went from being an atheist to an agnostic to a Buddhist to finally settling down into Native American spirituality. I became a truth seeker, right? You can't be a truth seeker until you're willing to own who you are, a sinner. I was finally honest with myself, my family. I asked for forgiveness from those I had wronged, and I started to grow again. Little by little, piece by piece, I started to grow. And then my older brother died at 22, my hero. That was it. That was the catalyst that changed my world. I was 19, living out in California. I got a phone call from my dad. I will never forget the sound of my father's voice, ever, as long as I live. No child should ever have to hear their parents sound like that. No parent should ever have to sound like that. But that's the world and the reality we live in. It's a broken, broken world. I knew I had to move home when I heard his voice. I was like, I got to leave California. I got to go home to St. Louis. I did. I got my GED, started college, was making straight A's, believe it or not. And I was learning the family business. And my parents owned a wholesale office furniture business, which I've been part of since I was about seven years old. Um, I work mostly in the back of the house and the warehouse, moving the exact model Verco chair you're sitting on. I've probably moved hundreds of thousands of Verco stack chairs and Verco tables. And when I, I left St. Louis, I vowed to never, ever touch another stack chair as long as I live. Little did I know that that's a job requirement of being a youth pastor. God has a very good sense of humor. Well, then, as all this is starting to turn towards my favor, she happened. I want to encourage you to see people the way God sees them. Okay? We have a tendency to look on the outward, but God looks deeper into the heart. He sees us as unique. And Jordan was unlike any woman I had ever met, right? She had moved to St. Louis after graduating from Clemson, and she was a Christian. The first Christian woman I have ever dated in my entire life. I asked her to marry me a week after our first date. My second date, I took her to meet my entire family in St. Louis. I have a huge family, cousins, nephews, aunts, uncles. And there she is meeting my whole family, taking it like a champ. And I was like, oh, we're going to have to go now. My grandma yanks me aside. She says, do not let this one go. When the matriarch of the family speaks, I was born and taught, you listen. And I listened. But there was one problem. I hadn't met her family yet. First Christmas here in Charleston. We met at the airport and then surprised them with an engagement 40 minutes later at the lovely Warlick home on 5 Fenwick Drive. I walked into that Christmas wonderland and I thought, what have I done? What have I gotten myself into? Look at this house. Oh my gosh. And I was tested. I was tested that week. During the week leading up to Christmas, Bill, let's just say this, was very engaged in my life. He took me for coffee and scones at Baker's Cafe. We talked for hours. He drilled me with questions. 
and I got to do the same to him. He said at one point, you say you're seeking truth, then you at least have to give Christianity an honest inquiry. He had me, checkmate. I had not been willing to do that up until that challenge. The reason is, I knew a bunch of people who called themselves Christians growing up, and I didn't want any part of what they were offering because they weren't living truth. They were not living authentic lives. And I met Bill and Carolyn and Nana, I said, these people are authentic. They actually believe and live what they say and do. That's authentic. That's something I want in my life. Designed with the help of the input of the master architect, our heavenly father, Bill said, I'm going to a Christmas Eve service. Does anyone want to go? You should come and see. We just had a big meal, a couple glasses of wine. I'm in my black leather motorcycle jacket, my long hair, my piercings. Dapper Bill over here is in his sweater vest and his bow tie, and I'm like, still trying to impress this guy. I'll go to Christmas Eve service. I raised my hand, and out the door I went and ended up here at St. Philip's Church. Christmas Eve, 1999. And by the time communion occurred, I had given my heart to Jesus. I was transformed. I went up to that altar, and something happened within me. Because this is a point of why I'm here today. Advent and Christmas have benefits. Do the work of the evangelist. St. Paul said that to Timothy. Use the Philip method. It's so simple. Come and see. It comes right out of John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 46. And Philip, being a great disciple, is just mimicking Jesus, who a couple verses before this was asked by John the Baptist's disciples, where are you going to stay? And Jesus said, come and see. Philip's like, oh, that's good. I'll use that too. Come and see. That should be an encouragement to you and me, brothers. Come and see. Create fellowship opportunities, lunches, host a Christmas party, invite people to church. New life blooms in Advent. It truly does because of the incarnation of our blessed Lord and Savior and because of the second coming of Christ. It is a very thin veil that time of year. The liturgy, the gospel readings, the hymns are all pointed and ready to pierce the human heart and mind. Even the hardest hearts have a hard time denying the power that is flowing out into this world during this season. So, that brings me to my point. My treasure. That little song here. I saved a lot of money. My fortune wasn't told. And like a fool, I idolized my silver and my gold. My earthly treasures mounted, and when I counted through, I realized the treasure I'd overlooked was you. My treasure unmeasured, but forsaken of the treasures that come from above. My treasure unmeasured, but it don't hold a heart to the one that I love. If I had my life before me, if I could see it all, I'd stake my claim on the things that are secured against the downfall. I'd work for earthly treasure, sure, like any man would do, but I'd set my sights much higher, and I'd be sure that I had you, my treasure unmeasured, unmeasured. Now, do any of you gentlemen know who wrote the lyrics to that song? No one? Johnny Cash, the infamous man in black. To me, he was like a musical priest, right? He administered the sacrament of music. He lived a troubled life. He went on to find Jesus Christ, and he lived a devout and holy life. That's the point. That's the gospel. It's so inspirational to hear Johnny Cash reading the New Testament. If you haven't done it, please get on YouTube today and listen to Johnny Cash reading the New Testament. It's incredible. To me, it's like when I was a young boy. I used to dig holes all over my yard, my front yard, 
my backyard, my side yard, my grandpa's yard, the woods down by my house. Dig, dig, dig. Why? Why did I do this? Why was I consumed with digging holes, you might ask? Simple. I believed I would find treasure. I thought about it with all my heart. With each hole I didn't find treasure, I would put my failed attempt back into that hole one scoop at a time. And then I'd pat the ground over it, and I'd move on to that next location with a deep conviction and a hope that the next hole I was going to dig held my treasure. And my dad, <laughs> whose yard I was tearing up, he never got mad at me or complained about the grass I was destroying or the hard work he had put forth to keep that lawn so beautiful. No, he believed in me because he's a good and patient and kind and merciful and loving father. Mike Gilbert is truly one of the best fathers any son could ever wish for. He knew I would find treasure one day. And one day, I, well, we're going to pick up on that story briefly. Hold on. Let's study the word of God first. Matthew 13, 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for the joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has to buy that field. The man in this parable is us, brothers, working, digging, searching, seeking, desiring treasure with all our hearts. The treasure is quite simple. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's his words. It's his life. It's his mission. It's the church, his blessed bride. It's the promise of everlasting life. That's the treasure. Once the man found the treasure, I was always like, why did he hide it? He hid it to protect it from robbers and thieves. He hid it so that no one else could take it from him. He wanted ownership of that field and ownership of that treasure. And the man's urgency as he goes and he sells all that he has to buy that field is priceless. It's priceless. Do we have that same urgency in 2022? Or are we bogged down by this world's cruel and merciless standards, this world's soul-sucking and energy-zapping standards? Because that's the question of what Advent is all about. Brothers, the gospel is an urgent, urgent message. Because Jesus will come again to judge the quick and the dead. And people all around us every single day are desperate for the key. The key that unlocks everlasting life. And that key is in the lineage of David. That key is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And one of the key words that people are searching for so desperately in our culture is found right here in this parable, joy. There is no other joy found on earth other than Jesus Christ. And the man knows that nothing Nothing he has on earth is worth, worth as much as the treasure of the field. You see, so it's a joy for this man to give up what he thought, what he once thought was most special, to grab hold of what truly is most important. Where is this field? What is this field? It's a great question. It's many places. Um, Bishop Filaret said this about this exact parable, and I'm going to read it in its entirety because I just found it so rich, and I hope you'll be blessed by it. He says this, but a field particularly close and accessible for all is that in which the treasure of grace is secretly placed. That is the church. What a treasure is hidden in her sacred assemblies. In them is hidden the presence of Christ, the Lord himself. And in him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, as well as the treasure of all other gifts, spiritual and divine. What treasure there is in the prayers what treasure there is in the doxologies of the church. In them breathes the grace of the prophets, 
the apostles and the saints. Still more, in them breathes the Holy Spirit himself, making intercession for us with groaning in which cannot be uttered. What a treasure there is in the reading of the gospel. Because the same power which proceeding forth in Christ's words cast out demons, healed infirmities, raised the dead and enlightened with divine light, now too abides in the gospel. Wow, what treasure there is in the mysteries of God, especially in the mystery of his body and blood. In it there is hidden eternal life with its inscrutable good things, in accordance with that which was said by the Lord. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood has eternal life. When Jesus spoke those words, a lot of people left him. They stopped being his disciples. They left the treasure and the field never to return. One needs only to know how to use such a treasure. And for this, it is necessary to sell. That is, to scorn, to reject all that thou hast, namely, pleasing thyself thy carnal desires, thy deprived habits, thy passions, thy laziness, thine inattentiveness. Brothers, the field is close and it's found within the church. So what does Jesus desire to teach us today? What does he desire to teach us during this Advent season? And what about you? Here in this room today, what are you gonna do with the treasure in the field? Will you bury it? Will you leave the field for someone else to find? Or will you get rid of everything in your life that hinders you from pursuing and purchasing that field? That is a powerful question. That's what the season is all about. Brothers, I want to encourage you this Advent season to own your faith. Own it with everything you have for your spouses, for your children, for your family, for your business associates, your neighbors, your friends, your foes and strangers. The list goes on and on. Own your faith this Advent season and boldly declare with a rejoicing in your heart to everyone who will give you ear that God is love. He is pure love and that Jesus is God's only begotten son and all who believe in him will inherit everlasting life. For God came not to condemn this world, but to save it. That's the beauty of this Advent season. That's the beauty of Christmas. Listen to what God said to Jeremiah the prophet. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, oh Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I'm a youth. The Lord said to me, do not say I'm a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over all the nations, over the kingdoms, to root out, to pull down, to destroy and throw down, to build and to plant. You see, brothers, Jeremiah, he got it. He found the treasure. He gave up everything to purchase that field. He was a young man. He went on to do, let's just say, amazing things for the kingdom of God. This scripture right here is one of the main reasons I became a youth pastor. I felt like Satan had robbed me of my entire life, but especially my middle school and high school years. And I wanted to help anyone and everyone going through those years to find Jesus and to help spare them from years of torment and regret. I also want the members of St. Philip's Youth Group to reach out to the lost that are all around them in high school every single day. 
I want to encourage them to share the gospel with the lost, to pray for them, to invite them to church, to invite them to youth group, because no team, not one, reached out to me when I had a four-inch purple scar around my neck sitting in my class sophomore year. Not one Christian. And so I encourage them every day with this urgent message, invite people to church. But why? Why should I go to church? Why should I invite someone to church? We just read it right here. In church, God touches your lips. He puts his words into your mouth. He gives you the power to root out, to pull down, to destroy and throw down all that is not good and all that is unholy in your life. In church, he gives you the same power to build, to plant all that is good, all that is holy and righteous. And guess where you get to grow it? In the field of treasure, if you should choose to own it. And one day, it happened. I told you, I found treasure. My father was so proud of me. My family and my friends, they just couldn't believe it. There it was, sitting at the end of my shovel, the shovel of my heart. My treasure was my faith. I know this is campy, I know, but it's true. It's very true. The joy and abundant life of God, it literally flowed out of me like a river. My heavenly father was so proud. He didn't mind all the little holes I had dug all over that field and tried to cover up. He didn't mind because I kept digging. I found the treasure, and that treasure is his love for me and his love for all mankind. So what did I do? I returned to St. Louis a week after finding that treasure right here at St. Philip's Christmas Eve, 1999. I remember inviting all of my family, all my friends over to my apartment, and after I had served them dinner, and we were sitting around drinking wine and talking, I said, you guys are going to love this. I have something I want to share with you. All eyes, like sharks with laser beams. Shoo! And I'm like, oh, got their attention. I bought a field. Woo! I found treasure. I became a Christian. I went on to tell them all about the treasure of love and grace and forgiveness I found in that field on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Everyone just blinked like, oh. Now that somebody finally spoke and they were like, why would you do that? <laughs> and another one of them said, literally, I'll never forget this. What do you mean you became a Christian? Like, what, how does one do that? What do you mean? I remember, though, brothers, going from 100% like brimming with joy to 100% sorrowful because the ones I cherished most in my life couldn't understand why I would give up everything to buy what seemed like a deserted field. They didn't know about it, and they couldn't see the treasure. But here's the gospel. Here's the gospel. After 23 years of me being a Christian, shining the light and love of Jesus Christ, and showing, showing them the treasure of the field, it no longer looks deserted to them. Mm -mm. They now see blooms and buds and fruit trees and rows and rows and rows of seeds that I have sown faithfully for my Lord Jesus Christ. And guess what? You, my church family, are a big part of the field that my family sees and hears about. Anytime I go home to St. Louis or I bring them down here to Charleston, you're who they hear about. You're who they meet. They hear about George Green and Water Mission and the amazing work they're doing, sharing living water all around this world to the poorest of poor. 
right? And that not only that, they're giving them the gospel, the living water of Jesus Christ. They hear about the youth group's partnership with Water Mission and the five mission trips I got to personally lead to Honduras with our youth group. I got to personally lead and see my cousin or my nephew fly down from St. Louis, meet us in Honduras, and got to see firsthand as he watched Christians in work in another part of the world installing water units, and his heart was converted during that week. You're who they hear about. They hear about sweet Ann Hunley Harrington and her handwritten letters. She writes handwritten letters to everybody on staff, and she slides them into our box, and it never ceases to amaze me. I'll be having the worst day, and I'll go, it's like, oh, there's a handwritten note in my box, and it's full of scripture and encouragement. This week alone, she wrote me two emails telling me she was covering me in prayer, and all of them were chock full of the most holy and beautiful scriptures. They hear about the crazy antics of our youth group kids and our awesome leadership here, DJ Polly D, and all the amazing volunteer leaders who are here every Friday and Sunday night pouring out their heart and soul for these kids. They hear about Chase. My man Chase is right here. He's one of my youth leaders. They hear about the infamous supper club of the Warlicks, the Grounds, the McMurphys, the Abels, and the Kellers, and the Gottschalks, who have been meeting for over 30 years. And the first time I met this supper club, they told me, we've been praying for you your entire life. I was like, how's that possible? <laughs> Considering uh, I just met you. <laughs> and they were like, uh, here's the truth. We have known Jordan since the moment she was born on planet Earth. And we've been praying for her husband from the moment of her birth. We were praying that God would deliver her a godly man who would love Jesus Christ with all his heart, mind, body, and soul, and now here you are. That's authentic faith. I believe it's a part of those prayers from people I didn't even know existed in another part of the world that saved me that night in my parents' garage. So please remember this this Advent season. Be authentic. Own the field and invite others to do the same. Simply say, Come and see what's going on at St. Philip's Church or wherever your respective church is. And then after church, take them out to lunch. This is what my father-in-law did for me. It's a big part of why I'm at this podium today, and it is why I'm a Christian today. So we're going to do a little, little practice here. Say these words with me. Come and see. Come and see. Wow, good job, guys. You're evangelists. That's that easy. It's literally that easy. It is. Um, just say that. Invite them to church. And then let God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work his wonders upon their hearts. I pray that all of you gentlemen will have a joyful and productive Advent season. Now go in peace to serve the Lord and do the work of an evangelist. Uh, let's bow our heads in prayer. Gracious Lord, we're so thankful for this Advent season and this Christmas season, which is fastly approaching us. We're so thankful that we get to adore you and worship you. We thank you that you came to this earth. The beauty of the incarnation is so palpable this time of the year. But we look beyond that too. We look beyond that to your second coming and we say, come Lord Jesus. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for the joy over it, goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God eternal, now forever and to the ages of ages. Amen. Thank you. If you're interested in the Warlick family Christmas, um, please give Will... Uh, Bill Warlick, a call for a personal guided tour, or you could read the Mercury from last year. They did a lovely write-up on the Warlick Christmas. Um, I'm also producing a Netflix documentary about that will be out next year. Um, 
more on that later, but no, thanks for being here, guys. Thank you.